Uh, just before we start episode 23, just a little reminder to subscribe to the podcast. We are so easy to find. Just type in Fight Disciples on iTunes and we will come up. If you could be so kind as to press the subscribe button, that means you would never miss out on any of the content that we send your way. And if you can go that extra step for us and write a five-star review, then you know what you're doing for us, man. You're helping us out when it comes to worldwide visibility. Right, that's enough of the begging. Let's get on with episode 23. Drugs are for mugs. This, this, this is Fight Disciples. We are gathered here today for the Fight Disciples UFC and Boxing Talk. Hi, I'm Adam. And I'm Nick. And welcome to episode 23 of the Fight Disciples podcast. On this week's show... We're all gutted for Jazza. Well, what's happened here? He's been shot. I think I think Jazza's broken jaw. He's gone. The fight's over. That one shot, I think. That one shot has ended the fight. It's all over. I caught up with Holly Holm, and she talks drugs. Yeah, like I said, I don't really know a lot of the the factual details about it, and haven't really got too much detail about it. And what next for the WBC heavyweight boxing champion Deontay Wilder? You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. Where do we start this week? Uh, Because since last week's podcast, there's been quite a lot of developments. I think we'll go to uh, the world of UFC, uh, Nick. Last week on the uh, podcast, we were talking, of course, about Brock Lesnar's massive return at UFC 200. You're... uh, Obviously a fan of the entity that is Brock Lesnar. I want him to stand up and trade punches and maybe get chinned every now and again just for the entertainment factor. However, Friday, it all took a little bit of a turn for a worse because on Friday, the UFC confirmed uh, that he had failed an out-of-competition drug test. Uh, the 39-year-old, I'm sure you're fully aware, beat Mark Hunt by unanimous decision on July the 9th at UFC 200 uh, in what can now be described as a cameo return. Yeah. Um, this, Brock's made a, an official statement by are saying... We, are, we, are we surprised? Are no, we surprised? no, because this is, well, this is what happened. I think in the build-up to UFC 200, in a private conversation that we had on our little WhatsApp group, you even said, this. you, you painted a picture that, you, that juiced up WWE star comes back and then gets caught about two weeks later. You kind of insinuated that that would happen. When you look at the fella, you kind of insinuate, you kind of look at him and think, he's definitely on something, man. You can't be that, that big, that natural. Yeah. Uh, he's come out and said, we're going to get to the bottom of this. I don't know if you've seen um, that. I don't know whether it's a letter or a memo that's doing the rounds on social media from an alleged uh, training partner of Brock Lesnar, but he's insinuated that it's something that Brock's been taking for his asthma. <laughs> yeah, right, mate. Yeah, right. But he doesn't need to take it in Las Vegas because of the climate. Listen, come let me, on, son. Let me just tell you, when I went to school, when I was at my local comprehensive all the kids with the asthma, the little asthma bottles, they were all the best athletes. Yeah. They were all ripping muscles. <laughs> they were all absolute, you know, monsters. Oh, man. Come on. Come on. That's. But, so at the end of the day, it's, a, it's an innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. Let's just say we, we took one look at, at Brock in the octagon at, at UFC 200, and it did not take a rocket science to, uh, scientist to work out that the guy was in incredible shape. 
Um, and you know, especially at such short notice, isn't there? I mean, the, exactly. the, the, the rules and regulations from the USC on that short notice of a retired athlete returning to competition must be tested over a four month period. Obviously, yes. that couldn't be done with with Brock. That was wavered. Yeah, he, that was wavered. Um, uh, but I'm led to believe that he was tested about eight times in the two weeks building up to the fight from the anti-doping agency. But the one on June 28th is the one that's flagged something up. He must have had his he must have had his inhaler on that day then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> The, the whole thing, obviously, we understand the situation that went on. You know, John Jones falling out, everything else. That you know, the card was the biggest card in the history of the UFC was under serious risk of falling apart in a big way. So they pulled the ace out. You know, it was, we knew it was either going to be one of three: Ronda was going to return, GSP was going to return, or Brock was going to return. And you know, at the time, it's easy to say you're different now, but at the time, we were kind of Brock's kind of the outsider, you know, Brock ain't going to come back, he's in wrestling, SummerSlam in a couple of weeks, all that kind of stuff. Well, hey-ho, Brock's the one that, you know, jumps in, jumps back in. They'd obviously done a deal with USAD and said, right, okay, we know our rules that we've signed up for, but this is a special case, you know, we need Brock to save the show. We're going to have to waver it, just drug test him for the fortnight in the run-up to the fight, all that kind of business. But then when you, when Mark Hunt speaks, Mark Hunt says, I was on UFC 200 three months ago. I was told I was going to be on UFC 200. I just didn't, you know, the opponent wasn't wasn't kind of confirmed. So that alludes you to think, well, what was going on? What were they What were they waiting for? Who were they waiting for? Was Brock a last-minute opponent because the previous opponent got mm. injured or whatever? You know, th- this is where it starts getting a little bit murky and the fact that Brock jumped straight in and under these speckl- special circumstances of being tested, but only for a short period of time. You know, obviously question marks get raised then, don't they? And then obviously when the subsequent test comes out and he's and he's failed for whatever reason, whatever was in his system, you know, we weren't surprised. We weren't surprised. You mentioned Mark Hunt's yeah. name there. Let's hear from him because he, he, he did an interview recently with uh, Fox Sports, one of the broadcasters for USC in the States. I apologise now to our listeners who love a little bit of swearing. They've bleeped the swearing out. I'm disgusted that they've bleeped the swearing out of this. If they already knew that he was doping, then why didn't they leave Jones fight? I mean, sorry. The guy was going to walk away with with with, uh, with a slap on the wrist, you know. And I'm, I'm lucky I didn't get injured in that fight. To be honest, I think it's rubbish. I think he should be, he should, half of his or all of his should be taken off him. And uh, I mean, he doesn't get there's no penalties or, or uh, deterrence for for these guys that are cheating. This is not the first time. This is the third time I've had to fight someone doping. And the last time I fought, I fought, I fought uh, Bigfoot in Brisbane. You know, I broke my hand in two places and I was out for nine months. You know, he came back and fought before me. He fought, he got suspended for nine months or whatever time was, and he came and fought before before I did. And he was doping. And then Frank Mugo called for doping and he said it was kangaroo meat. You know, <laughs> this is not the second, this is the third time and then under this fool, Brock Lesnar comes in, he's got, he, he, gets, he gets caught doping and he's probably going to walk away with him. So, you know what, I just, I said, I said, if you don't give me half of a shit, I'm walking away from this company. I, I, I want out of here. This is rubbish. It is rubbish. And since that conversation, he's turned around and said, no, I don't want half anymore. I want the lot. I want the whole two and a half million. And to be fair, he's got a little bit of a point, hasn't he? He's trained hard. He's uh, kept himself in top shape. He's passed his drugs test. All right, he's gone in there and got beat, but he's got beat off a... I suppose the drug cheats, like you say, we don't know the facts as of this moment in time. Brock will defend himself until proven guilty, and rightfully so. But it, it smells funny, and he's right to be upset. Of course, if you're team Mark Hunt, you would be very upset, and he's got a point there. You know, he has he has faced three, you know, suspected, convicted, convicted drug cheats. But then the flip side of that is, you know, last week, the week be- sorry, two weeks ago, the week before UFC 200, 
Mark Hunt was in Vegas saying, yeah, yeah, Brock, whatever. The guy's juiced up to the gills and I'm still going to knock him out. It doesn't matter. So to now cry about it and say, oh, well, he was juiced up. I want half his money. You fucking hell, you said two weeks ago he was juiced up. You knew he was juiced up. You the one that told us he was juiced up. <laughs> Come on, man. You can't have that. Yeah, all right. He might have said it, but he said it tongue in cheek, little bit of jovialness at the press conference. And he just, to, just to sell the pay-per-views. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To sell the pay-per-views. But then when he finds out, don't cry about it, mate. You knew about it. You told yeah. us two weeks ago. <laughs> you the one that was telling us he was juiced up. But, uh, but of course, yeah, you know, it's... Unfortunately, it's it, it's been a the aftermath, the whole UFC 200 event. You know the the fact that it did so well, it was such an incredible. You know the the whole thing was we 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 waxed lyrical about it last week. How much we enjoyed it, the drama as much as the action. Yeah. Let's be honest, and it's just rumbling on. It just doesn't seem to be going away. How much damage like is it doing? How much damage is it doing? Because Brock, obviously, a big superstar. He was the big show that came back into that UFC 200. He's under suspicion. John Jones obviously was the main man at that yeah. particular show. Yeah. He uh, now, I think it's come out that he uh, is it something to do with beta blockers, estrogen blockers, estrogen blockers. I'm going to say beta blockers, estrogen blockers for two that different he's types of estrogen blockers. He's failed for yeah, that's what's flagged up in his sample. John, Jones is adamant that uh, that there's a problem there that, with that supplements. Not, so he hasn't taken anything, um, but obviously all that's going to come to a head eventually. But in in, in terms of um, what it does for the UFC What it now. does for the UFC, yeah. Uh, you know, don't forget, it was in the 24 hours after UFC 200, the announcement was made that, you know, the bit, the worst secret in MMA, that William Morris and Dever were taken over, were, yeah. were, were bought out Zoo Film, were taken over the promotion. And, you know, obviously they've got lofty ambitions. They've just spent $4 billion, for Christ's sake. So they obviously imagine they're going to turn it into $8 billion eventually. Mm. Um, so... For them to buy it and, and kind of walk straight into this in drugstorm, you know, the marquee fight in the whole, you know, arguably the pound for pound best fighter on the planet right now, John Jones, is now facing another lengthy ban from the sport. More, you know, the way it's looking, estrogen blockers and stuff, he's looking at minimum two years, you would have thought. So even though he's a relatively young guy, that's still one of the big marquee names that's out of there. Brock, well, you know, he ain't going to come back no more. You know, he's going to be looking at a ban himself, but does he need the UFC anyway? Because, you know, this is the whole thing. He's suspended now from competition because he's failed the drug test, yet he'll go and compete on WrestleMania or SummerSlam or whatever it is in a fortnight's time because that's not a real sport mm. and those guys aren't drug tested properly. So it's... Um, they William Morris and Dever guys, now Ari, Ari Emanuel and them guys might be thinking, Christ almighty, what, you know... What a way to start. What? How much drama can you get in? But then again, th- these guys are the biggest Hollywood super agency combined with IMG, the big world, one of yeah. the world's biggest sports agencies. They, Adam, they may well be looking at all this and rubbing their hands together going, this is fucking what we want. This is a bit of drama. <laughs> this has got people tuned in because they're not just on the back pages, they're on the front pages of newspapers mm. and people going, Christ, oh, he's failed a drug test. This has happened. It's constant. It's every single day there's more narratives coming out of one event, UFC 200 and... Um, you know, I don't know. I'm not on the inside enough to know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing in terms of William Morris and Devon and IMG. But obviously, from a fan's perspective, it's disappointing. You know, we were robbed of John Jones. John Jones let us down again. You know, now Brock, we were getting all excited last week because Brock's back. Is he going to fight again? Is he going to fight for the title? This is fantastic. Now Brock's failed the drug test. So, you know, will that result be overturned now? Obviously, is that the end of Brock? Not only that, it sounds like it could be the end of Mark Hunt in the UFC as well. He seems completely pissed off. Yeah. So, you know, where's that going to lead to as well? So it's been a, it's been a crazy, crazy week of aftermath of UFC 200. And now I feel like it's, 
you know, let's let's kind of have a little look forward and and see what's coming next. Holly Holm, who's fighting uh, this weekend in Chicago, has been having her say on it as well. You know, I haven't talked really in detail with him about this situation. He has been in the gym and he's been training, and he just said, you know what, um, I'm going to be here. I'm going to at least do one thing every day and become better, a uh, better fighter, and learn and keep evolving. And other than that, you know, I haven't talked much about it. Uh, he's just been trying to support the rest of the team as they prepare, you know, um, trying to just your teammate uh, to everybody else. And so, yeah, like I said, I, I don't really know a lot of the, the factual details about it and haven't really gotten into too much detail about it, so... Could Holly Holmes sit on the fence anymore? She's got splinters in her backside with that blooming answer, hasn't she? I know, exactly. You totally understandable. Tell her best mates, of course. Yeah, yeah understandable, you know, because like you just said, job. they are mates, aren't they? They are exactly. mates. They train out the same gym. They've been pals for a long, long time, so therefore she's not going to slag her pal off. She's but... going to try and protect them. But at the same time, you know, we've talked about this with John Jones before. You know, Stop trying to fucking pretend this guy's whiter than white, because he isn't. He isn't. He's got issues. He's, you know, he's certainly uber talented inside the octagon. Yes, the best, best natural talent we've ever seen, quite possibly. But outside of it, is he a bit of a tool? Well, yeah, he is a bit of a tool. <laughs> and that's just life. I'm, I'm upset that you didn't go with the word divvy being from <laughs> Liverpool. Normally, normally you say that. Yeah, he's a bit of a divvy. But tool's all right. I'll go with tool. Yeah, he's a, he's a tool, isn't he? So let's we accept him as a tool and go. Okay, then. But the, the issue now is that. You know, for me, I would love to have seen the tears and all that were great. And he did the interview and he said, I'm so, you know, he was really upset. He apologised to Cormier. This is straight, you know, prior to UFC 200 and he's going to get to the bottom of it and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, right, okay, great. You know, at some stage, why is he still in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico? Why is he still at the same camp? Why is he surrounded by still the same people? Why has he got the same people in his ear? Why has he got the same advice? You know, at some stage, he's just got to start a fresh, start new, in my opinion. Otherwise, he's never, ever going to get realise the potential that he's got. He's already the greatest light heavyweight the, you know, the sport's ever seen. But he, he had the ability to surpass Fedor and Anderson Silva and George St. Pierre and be the greatest of all time, easily. But it's just not going to happen in the situation that he's in right now because he's that, he's that knee deep or neck deep, if you like, in shit and mud where he is. For me, he's just got to get the hell out of there. He's got to start fresh, and he's got to re, you know restart his entire career. But it's just another issue with John Jones against. It's, it's, it's ups- from a fan's perspective, it's upsetting. Do you know what I do at a time like this? I always think to myself, we need we need a, a wiser power, a power from above to maybe cast some uh, knowledge our way. And I always think of Nate Diaz and what his response would be. Everybody's on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> The big cheers as well. He knows. <laughs> he knows. Nate knows. What a shame, though. What a shame, like you say. Hopefully, it'll sort itself out. But on Holly, she's in action this weekend. She returns uh, to the Octagon. First time uh, since she was beaten against Misha Tate and losing that bantamweight title. We spoke about this last week, how competitive, I suppose, the bantamweight division is at this moment in time. I've seen some other people writing um, that they think that it's a weak division because the the title keeps changing hands. But I look no at chance. it, yeah, exactly. I look at it totally differently. I think it's so competitive because it keeps changing hands so many times. I think that's four champions now in the space of a year, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, since um, obviously since Holly, beat, yeah, yeah, since Holly beat uh, Ronda uh, with that fantastic knockout leg kick. Um, where is she at this moment in time in the pecking order? She's got a big one this weekend against the Bullet Shevchenko. Come through that. Do you think she's straight back in the mix for New York for maybe an eliminator with Ronda? 
I think so, yeah, definitely. I don't know whether the, a Ronda would jump at the fight, you know, the chance to fight Holly Holm if the title wasn't on the line again. But, you know, this is a critical one for Holly Holm because, as you say, Nunes is the new champion now. Misha Tate's been defeated. You know, Holly Holm has missed that opportunity to avenge that loss in a championship match unless things drastically change next year. So, you know, she's got to now chase somebody else's coattails when you could argue, well, she's already behind Misha Tate in the pecking order. She needs a big performance this weekend against Shevchenko to really push herself forward for that fight against Nunes towards the end of the year. But, of course, you just touched on it then. The ace card is is Ronda Rousey. If Ronda comes back, then you'd imagine Ronda basically handpicks whoever she wants, whether that's title fight or or an eliminator first. So, Do you but, think that Holly Holm would look back at the opportunity of turning down Ronda's rematch immediately after what happened in Australia? She had an opportunity to fight her again in an yeah. immediate rematch, and she decided... Yeah. But she had to wait, didn't she? Yeah, she had to wait until she yeah, was yeah. passed medically to fight. Do you yeah. think that maybe she regrets that now, obviously then getting stuck into Misha Tate and, and, and thus losing her belt? Well, maybe she had an insight. Maybe, maybe you know, she's been in the game a long time. You should say, not nece- uh, Holly Holm, sorry, not necessarily in, in MMA, but obviously she was, she was the best professional female professional boxer on the planet mm. for a long time. So you know, she's no spring, she's no, she's not new to the fight game, if you like. And the manner of her performance against Ronda, and the, you know, the fact that Ronda fell so far when she lost that fight to, to Holly Holm, you know, she was on such a high pedestal, and she, I think she knew. I think she knew Ronda wasn't going to be coming back anytime soon. She knew she damaged her mentally as much as physically, and uh, I think that's why she she took the fight with Misha Tate because you know at the time you think, oh no, wait, wait and cash in, but right now Ronda still hasn't fought. Mm. You know, and, and not only has she lost to Misha Tate, but Misha Tate's now lost to Amanda Nunes. So, mm. you know, it's been over a year um, since Ronda lost. You know, she's been out of the ring now for almost 18 months. So it was probably the right decision by Holly Holm to move on. And to be fair, for Holly Holm, she lost that fight through her own stupidity, really. She lost it in the last round of the fight. She should have took Misha out when she had the opportunity earlier on. So, therefore, she would actually still be sat here as the women's bantamweight champion. Well, of course, yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's horses for courses. Yeah. It's, it's easy, for, easy for us to say that now, sitting in the studio going, ah, oh, fucking hell, you should have just yeah, stayed on you? your toes you, for the last, last nailed three it. minutes of the yeah. round. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy, this. What are you doing? Um, but, You've uh, won the fight. Why are you going for a cuddle? Exactly, you going back pedal, yeah. But then, you know, that just shows, again, that just shows how competitive that female bantamweight division yeah. is. You know, she had that fight won, you know, deep into the into the final round and we should take get a grip of her. I would like to see Holly Holm against uh, Amanda Nunes though. Two strikers, yeah. two great strikers. It'd be wonderful to see those two just go toe to toe and have a real good go because if you just mentioned Holly Holm, best female boxer on the planet, fantastic uh, Mai Tai from uh, Amanda Nunes. I think that'd be a really good matchup. Listen, this fight this weekend, talk about girls with Mai Tai power. Valentina Shevchenko is a Mai Tai monster. Who, who's, I'll ask you this, Adam, because I know what the answer's going to be. Who's your favourite fighter on the planet right now who just happens to be female? Oh, um, Jidrajek. Uh, Joanna Jidrajek. Yeah. Well, Jordan, their Mai Tai careers. Valentina Shevchenko beat her not once, not twice. Shit. Three times she beat the current female storeweight champion. And in my opinion, world. one of the pound opinion, for pound, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. one of the pound for pound stars. Shevchenko is no joke. She comes with outstanding Mai Tai um, and she is going to stand and trade with Holly Holm and this is going to be a really interesting fight at the weekend. It's a massive test for Holly Holm. Just as it's a massive chef for Shevchenko, don't get me wrong, I really think it's whoever handles the pressure more on the night 
But um, this one is going to be close. And if you're right, if, if Holly Holm comes through this fight, well, this is the perfect opponent to prepare her for Amanda Nunes because she's exactly the same type of fighter. But Shevchenko has got, she brings a ton to the table. And listen, she's had a crazy camp, this girl as well. Bit of background on Shevchenko in case no one knows about her. She is originally a Kazakh, something like that, I think she is, yeah. Um, and she moved over to Peru during her Mai Tai career with a coach and a, a sister, and they've been based out of Peru for a number of years now, and she still lives there and trains there full-time, represents Peru in the octagon, that kind of stuff. Well, a month ago, she was out having dinner with her coach, and some armed gunman burst into the restaurant, pure Pulp Fiction type scene, takes out the takes the register, then goes around the room taking people's wallets. So while this is happening, her coach says to Chevchenko, listen, you go and hide quick, I'll sort this out. So she ducks off from their table, not seen, hides somewhere. Next thing you know, Chevchenko's coach only pulls out his own gun and starts a gunfight in the middle of the restaurant <laughs> with the armed robbers in the middle of Peru. It takes a slug to the bullet, uh, it takes a slug to the stomach. And uh, anyway, it all gets blown up. He gets rushed to hospital. She's like keeping him alive in the back of an ambulance, everything else. Absolutely insane way to prepare for the biggest fight of your life. But apparently he's, he's made a good recovery and he's going to be in the, he's going to be in the corner on Saturday night. <laughs> Scar and all. I wonder if he'll have a six-shooter with him tucked into his belt. Oh, man. But talk about crazy life. You're like, fuck, come on. you know. And then you think, is she going to be intimidated by Holly Holm in the Octagon? Nah, nah she's just so, been in a no. gunfight in Peru, exactly. mate. She's fine. Part of a camp crazy that is crazy looking forward to it that's this weekend if you're a big uh, uh, fight fan uh, fight pass subscriber you'll be able to get your hands on uh, UFC Chicago this weekend Holly Holm against uh, the bullet uh, Shevchenko just a quick one before we move on to boxing did you catch Bellator 158 I sure did, yeah. I was um, a couple of the guys, obviously from the, from Fighters Only office, were down there and stuff. And uh, fantastic watched, show in London, that it was incredible. Yeah, mm. you know, I'd have been down there myself. It wasn't for the new baby, as you know. But um, I watched it on Channel Five, which was great. Yeah, apparently they got f- over five hundred and fifty thousand viewers on Channel Five. That's big. Peaked that, which is over half a million. You know, they're good numbers for MMA. Um, but I know what you're going to talk about. You're going to talk about Michael Venom Page's flying knee, aren't you? Well, Venom Page, right? He came to he came to my uh, psyche maybe about a year ago, and he was he was known for his showmanship, the rock star of Bellator, the guy that dances in the ring and puts on a bit of a show. And that's, I suppose as a fan, that's what you want. You're intrigued by it. Yep. So I start watching his fights. I start liking what he does. See that this kid's got a lot of talent as well as all this bravado that goes with it. So I was in really interested in this fight the weekend against Cyborg Santos, mainly because I knew a lot about Cyborg and I thought to myself, this will be a real test. test. Oh, proper test. Proper test. Yeah, yeah. real test. Uh, so obviously you stick the TV on, you watch it. The kid comes in, he does a bit of dancing. You're thinking, all right. I'm liking a little bit of this. And then the finish. The, the thing that I was impressed with the most before the finish was the distance that he managed to keep Cyborg at. I mean, he was, he was the master of distance throughout the course of the fight was Venom Page. I thought he was yeah. brilliant at it. Yeah. But then the finish, the timing of the finish. Obviously, if you're, a, if you're a, a mixed martial arts fan, you will know what has happened since. And obviously, the finish has resulted to Cyborg Santos still being in hospital now as we make this podcast. He hasn't had an operation on a broken skull. He received a knee to the head. But the way that he, Michael Venom Page, initiated that finish move the timing of it yeah. is is the probably one of the best finishes i've ever seen it was unbelievable really really talented kid he's definitely going to the top in the bellator he is yeah without a shadow of a doubt and he's you know he's going there pretty quickly as well because all his finishes are like that but you know so far in his career 
I'll be honest, you know, people are questioning the level of his opponents. You know, the guys he was fighting aren't, aren't exactly top-end guys. They're a little bit hand-picked, and uh, he's been finishing them in spectacular fashion. But Cyborg was quite, you know, he was a step up. You know, Cyborg's been around. The guy's got a ton of experience, mm. and this was a real test for Michael Page. You know, it was a real good fight for him. To dispatch him in the way he did, absolutely sensational. But talk about the, the distance that he creates. Michael Page is the first real guy. I guess Sage Northcutt comes from a similar background, but he comes from a, something called sport karate. It's like point scoring karate. Yeah. Now, if you Google it and watch it on YouTube, it's shit. I'm telling you, it's shit. The, the, these guys are in full geese. They've got pads on the feet, big, ridiculous sized boxing gloves, and they've got head guards on as well. And what it is, is they just kind of dance around each other on the tips of their toes. And it's all about that distance because it's it's kind of like karate cross with fencing. They just kind of dance in front of each other, you know, f- throwing loads of feints, feints, feints. But then as soon as you land either a punch or a kick, it stops and you go and reset then. And one of you gets a point, you know, proper Olympic style. Or you've got a point, like, kind of like taekwondo. Mm. You know, you've got a point. Okay, reset yourselves. Okay, go again. You know, and you get, I guess you get different number of points for head strikes, body strikes, whatever it may be. I don't know. I just had a look at it. And it as I say, it You've watched crap. it. It was shit. You it can't be arsed with it. Exactly. <laughs> but that's his background. That's where Michael Page comes from. So when you look at him now when he's fighting full contact, that distance, the fact that he bounces on the toes the way he does, he stands absolutely side on. He yeah. doesn't, doesn't, he's not from facing whatsoever. He's so side on. Now, Law hands as well. I mean, you'd, you'd anticipate. Yeah, well, yeah, that would be yeah. suicide for anybody else because your, your leg is so far forward. For a wrestler, you just go straight for the single leg, put you on your back. But because he's so, his reflexes are so sharp and he's so quick on his feet, he's able to judge that distance perfectly. He really gets hit. You know, he really gets taken down. And his striking is absolutely lethal because it's completely unorthodox. And that finish on Saturday, you know, that's that's the culmination of his entire career, if you like. And I, I think he's starting to silence the naysayers now. Who kind of go, oh, this once this guy gets him with someone decent, he's going to be in trouble. Mm. I'd love to see him. You know, I'd love to see him in with someone that I would consider ranked in the top ten within side Bellator, but then in the welterweight division. But then Cyborg probably wasn't a million miles away from that. So yeah. Be interesting to see what they do with him next. Certainly interesting to see what his what his future holds moving forward as well. Because uh, you'd, you'd think that an offer from the UFC would come soon. Well, th- this is the thing at the moment. You know, free agencies like the the magic word in mixed martial arts right now. Everybody's kind of trying it, and you know, there's no better time to try it when UFC have just been bought out by you know for four billion dollars, and I've got these this new executive board that's kind of running the business because. They will look at Michael. If you were, if you were William Morrison Devers head guy, and you're going right, these are all we've got in the UFC. These guys are fucking great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nobody outside the UFC we need, is it? Well, well, just replay that fucking flying knee for me a sec. Who's that guy? Because mm. not only have we run in the UFC, but don't forget, guys, we're fucking Hollywood super agents, and we're making Kickboxer three next week, and then we're going to do the uh, you know the, the the Street Fighter movie, and that guy needs to be in our movies, and I think that's kind of the way the UFC and the roster is going to go. Paige Van Zandt may not become UFC champion of the world, but believe me, she will be in some kind of chick flick moving forward. Yeah, yeah, She'll yeah. She'll be in some little mo- some movie, you know, teaching Matthew McConaughey how to fucking box or whatever. I can see it coming. Or dance. Or dance, exactly. <laughs> yeah, or dance, exactly. So the likes of, it's for them, Sage North or Paige Van Zandt, they must be rubbing their hands with WME and IMG coming in because... There's so much more that they're offering the entertainment industry than just fighting. And that's what Michael Page does for me as well. He's a movie star as well as an incredible 
talent, athlete, fighter, whatever. So, but it was a great card. You know, it's nice to see Bellator over this side of the pond at last. It's good that they're stepping up their game now. The fact that it was on Channel Five, people may not know, is because the guy, the people who own Channel Five, also own Bellator, who also own Spike TV, and we're going to see. If, with viewing figures like that, we're going to see much more MMA on terrestrial TV, which is only a good thing, and hopefully that would lead to obviously the UFC getting uh, getting more exposure on, on on terrestrial and stuff as well. So yeah, it was a great card, and uh, yeah, what a performance! This is the Fight Disciples podcast. Subscribe now via the iTunes Store. Well, what's happened here? He's been sure. I think I think I think he's broke his jaw. He's gone. The fight's over. That one shot, I think. That one shot has ended the fight. It's all over. Oh boy, Jazza Dickens. We knew that it was uh, it was up against it, taking on what many people would class as one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world in Guillermo Rigondeau. Mm. Thankfully, it's on. It was on for the WBA Super Bantamweight Championship uh, in Cardiff at the weekend. And I just feel so sorry for the boy that it ended in the way that it ended. He looked all right. He didn't look in any major trouble in the first two rounds. Yeah, you're right. He got clocked with an absolute beauty. But to have to retire on your stool because you've brought your jaw and you can't fight on, it must be absolutely heartbreaking for the lad. Yeah, it must have been a, you know, it's, he's put so much work in. There's so much effort gone into that fight, so much game planning. You know, the guys at ERT, Paul and Mick, the coaches, the rest of the team there, they don't mess around, you know. They're finally getting the plaudits they deserve. They've really got a great setup going. But um, so to, for it to end in that fashion is so disappointing for them because it's the stuff that goes on, as we know, the stuff that goes on for 10 weeks, 20 weeks before a fight actually happens. That's when it really matters. So for them to only get to the second round and not really get Jazza the, give Jazza the opportunity to prove what he can do, you know. I thought he'd done great for the first round. I thought it was a little bit of a chess match, but that's what Jazza's all about. You know, he wasn't afraid to attack Rigondo. He wasn't afraid to mix it with him. He, he's a strange one, Rigondo. I can see, I can, you know, I was shocked when I heard that he'd been dropped by his American TV deal and he'd dropped by, uh, you know, American uh, promoters and stuff, Showtime or whatever it was, and... And the fact he was fight, looking to fight over here, what the hell's going on? I thought it was more of a ploy to go without the likes of, um, you know, the super the super bantamweight world champions that we've got over here, Scott Quigg and and obviously Frampton before he moved up. So I, I kind of thought it was that, but it's not. It apparently it's because Rigondo is just not attractive to watch. Now, mm. okay, he's, he's a patient fighter. He doesn't overcommit, and you know, I, I think we've seen a small glimpse of that in the two rounds that we did get. But what we also seen is the fact that the guy has got heavy hands, and that's something he's been criticised for in the past that he has, he doesn't hit hard enough. But my God, that shot he caught Jazza with was was sensational. To be honest with you, that was a sensational left hand, absolutely punch perfect, right on the button. And it was a credit to Jazza's conditioning, where his mind was after the fight, um, and how focused he was that he didn't go down from it. That he kind of he kind of walked through it. To be honest with you, mm. brave as he is, but. Um, Obviously, he's got back to the corner, and, and, and Paul and Mick have took one look at it, and you know, and they've said, you know, this is this is not for you today. You, you know, you'll have another day. And, and I was going to say, I was going to make, uh, yeah, that. on that. Of course, that's, it that's, is. that's that's a, that's a big, big decision to make because yeah. that's an opportunity that's come out of the blue for Jazza, and then obviously it didn't happen, and then he goes into another opportunity. They don't come round three times, really, mm. and for him to have an opportunity to go for a world title against Rigondo. It, it, it was it was a dream come true. So to have to pull him at the end of the second round in that in such fashion, you've got to take your hat off to them boys for doing that. Because at the end of the day, the most important thing is 
the health of the fighter. Live to fight another day is the saying, isn't it? If he goes back in there and he gets whacked on that chin again, who knows what would have happened? And I'd rather not know what might have happened. I'm glad that he's all right. He can go and rehabilitate. He can go and get his jaw fixed. Come again. He's a good fighter. He'll get another shot at a world title. Yeah, he's, you know, obviously he'll come back to domestic level now. He'll, he, you know, I think he's still got his British title. I'd like to see him in a European title fight, which is something that the ELT guys have got a little bit of speciality at. Uh, and rebuild from there. But yeah, you're right, his chance will come again. It's just disappointing that he didn't get to show. You know, we're not daft. We we knew it was an uphill battle, didn't we? We knew it was going to be a tough fight for him. But what we wanted is we wanted a, a Martin Murray against Golovkin type performance, didn't yeah. we? You know, we wanted them to get you know, Rugondo, go the distance or into the late rounds. Have, really a, bit of success, world, have a bit of success in there exactly, as well. Exactly, you wanted to show the world, yeah, I am world class, this is where I belong. So to for it to be put the fight to be stopped after after just two rounds is disappointing from that aspect. But um you know, if there's one kid out there that's got the strength of mind to come back from it, it's Jazzer, as we well know. Yeah. We had him in the studio with us, didn't we? And he's you know, he's a he's a very religious young man and he's obviously uh, he'll 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 take that loss on the chin. He'll he'll in Jazz's mind that's that's just, you know, the Lord's way, that's what he, the path he's chosen. And that having that having that strength behind you, having that faith means that Jazza will be able to come back from it and will push on and fingers crossed as you say it's, uh, it's not the only world title shot he gets in his career I'll put a little bit of a bomb squad there <clears throat> and then we'll go for uh, what next for Deontay Wilder here we go <clears throat> now then at the weekend he come through his fight quite nicely even though he had a broken hand and a, a separated bicep rock hard these, these heavyweights aren't they you know what I mean um, but what next for Deontay Wilder I think he needs more than anybody in the world of boxing that step up. We've been talking about that for uh, for Kel Brook recently. He's now got that step up with Triple G. We've mentioned it with other fighters as well that they need a real challenge, a proper challenge. Anthony Joshua gets it quite a bit. So maybe Anthony Joshua might be the man for Deontay Wilder. I don't think so at this moment in time, but he is an option. Where do you think Deontay Wilder is going next? Do you think he's going to return to maybe uh, uh, take on Bermain Stavern? Um, quite possibly, yeah. I think that's probably the, the fight out there that they're looking to make. As it's the well. only one that's gone the distance for him so far, hasn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I can see that fight definitely being made. Obviously, there's a lot going on at the moment. The Klitschko-Fury thing getting uglier and messier during the day. Apparently, there's lawyers involved now in terms of whether that fight's even going to happen. Mm. Uh, and I think Wilder's camp will be, will be looking at that, you know, pretty closely and... Whoever comes out of that, obviously they want Fury. And uh, if Fury's going to come out of that available, then they'll jump all over it. But the way things are going at the moment, it wouldn't surprise me if they made Fury against um, against Anthony Joshua. It really wouldn't. The way the way Eddie Hearn's doing business at the moment and the way fight sport is going right now, I could see that fight happening towards the end of the year, possibly at Wembley Stadium. So in, in, in terms of Deontay Wilder, where does he go from here? You know, Chris Ariola at the weekend, I thought he fucking retired a long time ago. Yeah, he, same. he was still in the game, to mm. be honest with you. And you you've, right. got, you've, got to take, you've got to feel for him a little bit because he did try to get on the road, didn't he? He was going to go to Russia. He was he was yeah. going to get himself in against Alexander Povetkin, but he failed the drug test, so therefore it was kind of taken out of his hands. He had to fight. He's got to be active. He's a champion. He, he needs to showcase his talent. So, oh yeah, all right. Ariola, whatever. The next one now, it's got to be a serious banger because people aren't going to take him seriously. I don't even think they t- started to take him serious in America. It's, it's similar to like Rigondo. They're yeah. kind of giving up on him a little bit, aren't they? It's one of them where they go, get in a proper fight and, and, and let us get behind you. The only reason why it showed any interest at the weekend is because he went back to Alabama, in, to Birmingham, where he's from, which yeah. which obviously they'll they'll follow whatever. He could fart in a room and they bloody cheer it, you know what I mean? They, they need to put a proper 
proper fight on in Vegas, in New York, or even somewhere else in the world to really make a stamp as whether he is one of the elite uh, heavyweights because his record suggests he is. He's knocking kids out for fun, but who is he knocking out? He needs to. He needs a big one on there now. He does, yeah. But you know, as you say, it's the, it's the same complaint really for Anthony Joshua too. You know, it's um, the. But Joshua's only eight, eight, what, 18 there. fights in, his 17, 18 fights in there, whereas he's yeah. 35 fights in there now, is uh, Deontay Wilder. He's, he's older than Anthony Joshua. This is, he, he has to step up. The, the next one has to be maybe a Povetkin, all right, yeah, failed drug test. Maybe Joshua, maybe David Hay, maybe Pulev, maybe Parker, maybe Wilder. Not Wilder, obviously he is Wilder, but one of those big yeah. boys. Well, listen, I seen Wilder after the fight come out and said, right, that's it, I want to go to the UK now. I want, I want to fight one of those guys. I want a unification fight. You know, That's where I want to be. There's an easy way to do it, mate. Just come over and fight David Hay. Call David Hay out and just go, right, I'll have David Hay then. I'll fight David Hay at Wembley or O2 or whatever. Hay will sell that out anyway. Yeah. I'll fight David Hay. Would David Hay take it? Well, if he doesn't, what a shitbag David Hay is. What's David Hay doing with his career if he won't fight fucking Deontay Wilder for the WBC world title? Mm. You know, if that's that's your route, you know, at the end of the day, David Hay is all, all... all good and well going on TV talking about how he beat Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury and how he's the best heavyweight in the world. And yet, you know, he won't sign to fight Tony Bellew. He won't sign up to fight Deontay Wilder, potentially, you know. So you're just going to keep fighting bums and fooling people out of money until until you get a golden ticket fight against Anthony Joshua or, or, or Tyson Fury. Well, that's never going to fight. Never going to happen. The only way you can make sure he gets a fight with Anthony Joshua... He'd bring a belt to the table, yeah? He'd bring a belt to the table. And the only legit belt outside of Tyson Fury or uh, Anthony Joshua's hands belongs presently to Deontay Wilder. David Hayes should be on Sky Sports today calling out Deontay Wilder, saying, come to England, come to or I'll go to Vegas, let us fight. And if you beat me, then because I guarantee if Deontay Wilder comes to the UK and knocks out David Hayes, 1,000% he fights Anthony Joshua or Tyson Fury next. No no doubt about it. Because the British clamour then would be, okay, you've beat David Hayes, okay, You've got to fight this guy. You know, we want to unify the t- this this American guy. He's legit. He's the real threat now, and that's the only way to make it happen. Like, he's got to come over here. He's got to should call out David Hay or David Hay should be calling him out. And, and that fight is a, an easy one to make for me. It's a big ticket seller. It's exactly what Hay wants. It's exactly what Deontay Wilder wants. I think it's perfect. Not a not a, you know, pee on my mate Tony Bellew's chips because obviously I hope he fights Tony Bellew, but I can't see that fight happening. Certainly at cruiserweight, it's going to have to be a heavyweight fight. For me, Hay against Wilder is the fight to make next, and that opens up a unification fight early next year. Finally, we finish on this. We thought it might be Vegas. It ain't Vegas. We're going to Dallas, baby! Yeah! I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a little bit heartbroken because to have a scouser defending his world titles on the strip in Sin City, I can go to the casinos. It would have been the first ever. First scouser to fight for a title in Las Vegas. That's what we were talking about. It would have been great. It would have been great. But what a stadium to do the business in, eh? Have you seen it? The Dallas Cowboys (laughs) Stadium? It's huge. It's ridiculously big ridiculously yeah. big we're obviously talking about Liam Beefy Smith uh, yeah. we know that he's taking on Canelo the only thing that we didn't know is where it would be happening yesterday uh, it was confirmed Beefy flew out to uh, Dallas for a little bit of a press conference with Canelo there are press conferences happening in the UK later this week yeah. uh, but the venue was confirmed the, da- the home of the Dallas Cowboys is where it's happening 
insane, insane. Pacquiao fought there, didn't he, a couple of years ago? Yeah. And, you know, they, they pulled in some incredibly bonkers numbers. So, and apparently it's because Canelo is a huge door in Texas. Who knew? So, um, it's a massive opportunity, obviously, for Beefy. We don't even have, we don't even have to talk about how big, significant that fight is. Mm. But imagine, you know, a scouser headline and a fucking 50,000 seat arena or whatever it is in, in Texas. It might even be more than that. It's, it's bonkers. 80,000 it is, mate. Insane. They're, they're anticipating 80,000 people in the stadium. Stick that, uh, uh, Carl Froch. 80,000 in Dallas, wow. mate. You can keep your Wembley. That's absolutely bonkers. Mm. September bonkers, the 17th yeah. is when it's happening, and they call it the AT&T Arena. And listen, as the champion, surely he's getting a champion's pace as well. Hopefully Liam's getting a good slice of the action there. I'm sure he is. And Who comes uh, in second? He does, doesn't he? He's the champ. He must come in second. Oh, God, yeah, he'll 100%. Because his belt's on the line, he'll, he'll walk in second. I, I don't give a shit about who walks to the ring, Adam. What I'm talking about is who's getting the biggest <laughs> slice of the pay-per-view money? Who's getting the biggest slice of the gate receipts, you know? That's what I want to know. But that's what I'm hoping Beefy's secured for himself. Obviously, he won't get a... Canelo's such a big draw. He'll be the he'll be the meal ticket. But, you know, hopefully that's change of life money. That's what I'm trying to get at. Hopefully this is change of life money for Beefy, Beefy Smith because he deserves it. And he's going up against one of the top three pound-for-pound pound fighters on the planet inside a stadium that could can fill half of uh, north liverpool so it's a cracking opportunity you know and what an event that's going to be and you know I've, i haven't actually checked the flights yet but do easyjet go to texas i don't liverpool think they do mate i don't think they do i'm thinking of getting um, thinking of getting me sandwiches onto ryanair see if we can get out there mate <laughs> um i'm going to make a, a prediction now even this far out from the fight i'm going to make a prediction nobody will get knocked out okay that's where i'm going this this is being decided on points the um, it's just about I think right now mentally, you know Joe Gallagher I'm sure is already whispering in in Liam's ear they'll already be getting him ready because it's not about for me it's not necessarily about ability or heart or anything you know Liam's a world champion and he's and he deserves to be a world champion this is where he belongs this is the stage he be, he, he should be on but there's a big difference about going out and watching you know and watching Paul fight uh, against Ward in California. And there's no title on the line. It's a it's a huge event, but and you're there and you're mm. and you're in the dressing room and you're soaking up. And you're thinking, okay, this is that this is what this experience feels Absolutely. like. Absolutely, like Stephen when he fought in uh, Fox. Uh, what was it called? Fox Foxwoods Casino. That's it. Yeah, yeah. What, in front of uh, less than ten thousand. You know they, what I mean? It, they, them experiences are invaluable. Now of course, for Liam because he's been up there. He's been close. He's smelt it. He's felt it. He knows what it's all about. But but. You're going to supersede all of them by fighting in front of eighty thousand yeah. people in the middle. Of I think Dallas he needs against to, Canelo. I think he needs to go to a football game then as well, just to, just to feel a little bit of the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. I, like he was walking around. If they went out there mm. for a while, if they went out there for you know a good month, maybe even six weeks before the fight, and just based themselves out of Dallas, you know, and got themselves ready because Canelo won't be there. Canelo will be in LA where he's based, uh, or California somewhere. If it wouldn't surprise me if Beefy and the entire team they moved over to Texas. Mm and really finished that last camp there and really got a feel for the city, for the people, for the you know the culture out there and just settle themselves down because he's, he should take a lot of confidence in the fact that he, sh- that he will, his title being on the line, walk to the ring second. He needs to just get it in his mind now that this is where he belongs, that this is well within his control, well within his capacity because you know we know at, at this level, the level we're talking about now, as much as any other, it's a mental game. It's all about how you handle the cameras, the people, the pressure, the fact you're standing across from Canelo and the Texaco girls or whatever they are, they're all standing around and you know, all the Mexicans are having a party and everything else. It's how you handle that is what separates you know, 
champions from absolute superstars champions and you know at the end of the day beefy when when the four of them turned pro you know no one's money was on beefy to become the first first world champion he's proved us all wrong over and over he's looked sensational since he's been world champion on his way to being world champion and um he's a tough kid he's a he's an incredibly tough fighter and he will take it to canelo i'm convinced of that he just needs to be mentally strong and and need me to have a, a really strong game plan because obviously Canelo's got a ton of ability, but if he rocks him early, if he catches him early, if he takes a shot and walks through it, the pressure's not on Liam Smith, even though he's the champion. The pressure is on Canelo to shine, to perform in front of all these fans that he's brought out in Texas, and that could be the the way in for Liam Smith. And uh, but more than anything, and top of you know, regardless, I'm sure we'll analyse the fight as we get to it, and we'll get excited about it. But listen. What a fucking paycheck. And this is what these guys are in the game for. Hopefully, Liam Smith's future is now secured on the back of this one fight alone. And hopefully, this fight opens many doors for him. Next time with the Fight Disciples. I'm on my holidays. So next week, Nick will be previewing Josh Warrington versus Patrick Highland. It's a huge card in Leeds, actually, which features Tyrone Nurse, Dillian White, Luke Campbell and Sam Eggington. More on that next week. And as well as that... He will also be previewing UFC 201. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.